which Bob Rattel is a member of. So I had the opportunity to meet Bob, obviously one of the great mental coaches of all time, Dr. Bob. And the thing he talked a lot about with me and some of the others is just before a round of golf, prepare yourself to be six under through six, six over through six, and even through six. Joined by Keenan Hickton. Keenan played at Emory and is now the assistant coach there. He is also ninth on the all time scoring list. Hey, Keenan, thanks for taking the time to join us today. Can you walk us through your junior progression and how you got to end up playing in college? Yeah, sure. So I was not much of a junior golfer. Uh, I, I grew up in a family that golfed. Uh, my, my dad got into golf in his 30s, taught us all the, the game. I have three brothers, played golf on vacation, could probably shoot. I remember the day I first broke 90. I got sort of the golf bug in eighth grade, ninth grade. I'd never broken 90. I was knocking on the door at my home club every day. And then I finally broke 90 for the first time. And I broke 80 one week later. So it was like, totally you know the plateau or whatever and you have a huge jump i was like 91 92 91 92 just for fun Mm -hmm. break 90 for the first time one week later i break 80 so i really was getting into the game of golf and i never played a tournament and then in high school golf tried out for the team got to start on the high school team as a freshman and i just got that tournament bug so i really enjoyed playing in tournaments where you know you got to post the score at the end of the day and i was sort of at the end of my basketball career, realizing that I wasn't going to be in the NBA someday and realized I had an opportunity to be a little bit better at golf sometime. And my high school basketball coach was my golf coach. So I I just, you know, took it seriously, started to find some tournaments, but I did not play in my first AJGA event until I was a junior or senior in high school, which is obviously way behind the eight ball if you're trying to play elite college golf. So, you know, Mm -hmm. finished, finished fifth in the high school state championship, my junior year and senior year. And the guys, Pennsylvania had a good little run there. We had uh, Isaiah Logue, who ended up being a great player at Liberty University and uh, Cole Miller, I think his name was, who ended up almost winning the big 10 championship individually for Penn state. So they finished first and second. So I was always kind of fighting for third place behind those two, but I got to play with them and I had some looks from coaches that were like, you know, who's this kid that's not on any rankings list, never played a tournament playing with them. So I had the opportunity to get on the map, reached out to a bunch of coaches with the help of my high school coach. And they all basically sent me a list of tournaments to play in. And I just tried to play as many of them as I could my junior year and senior year of high school. The two highlights where I played in the, the Little People's Challenge in Illinois and finished fifth. It was used to be a really big tournament where Rory had played in it, especially for the under 12, under 15 division. Mm-hmm. So I was in the 15, 18 division, just played in it and finished fifth. And then I went down to the George Holiday Classic in Myrtle Beach over uh, Thanksgiving break. And and I, I think I, you know, was 50th or something, but I shot, you know, like 78, 76, 74. And as both of you know, college coaches love to see that improvement day-to-day at the same golf course and consistency day-to-day too. So that one really 
just solidified to some of the coaches I was talking about that I could be a college golfer. That's cool. Uh, and some of these tournaments, it sounds like are one-off tournaments, but did you play in any regional tours or anything like that? I know you said you played some AJGA events, but as far as regional tours, like we have in the South, I know we have hurricane tours. Uh, do you guys have anything like that in Pennsylvania? We really did not have much. I mean, we had the IJGT. We had a lot of IJGT local tournaments, which helped qualify people in AJGAs. I might have played in one of those. But, I mean, the best things I had for me was I just didn't play much bad golf whenever I played. So I played in high school golf, and those were nine-hole matches and 18-hole matches. But my senior year, I mean, I think I had a 34.5 nine-hole average and a 68.7 18-hole average. And I played against a couple good players, Mm -hmm. like a, a kid locally who was going to Notre Dame and a kid locally who was going to Miami of Ohio and the Penn State kid and the Liberty University kid. And I had just stacked up well enough every time I played that it meant something to a few coaches. It didn't mean something to everybody, but it meant something to a few. I think I also benefited a little bit from... Uh, it was right around the time Maverick McNeely was having an awesome career at Stanford. Mm-hmm. And I think college coaches were sort of interested in the hockey player as in Maverick's case converted to golf, or in my case, you know, the, the basketball player converted to golf. Uh, I think that was appealing as I was reaching out to coaches. That, that makes sense. So over nine holes, you averaged about 34.5 in your high school career and over 18, you averaged about 69, right? Yeah, something like that. And, you know, it's a, it was a small sample size. We played an 18-hole uh, round at the beginning of the year, sort of a preseason kickoff tournament, and I, I played great with one other college player in the event. And him and I went into a playoff with a tournament 67, so that means a lot to folks. And then, you know, we played the individual, sectional, regional, and, and then another highlight was in the, the state semifinal in Pennsylvania. I shot a, a 69 where I was like, uh, six under after 10 holes in the pouring rain or something. So mm-hmm. it's another one of those things where Cooper and, and I think you both can attest to, it's like college coaches love seeing the scores going down day to day. You know, if you play a three-day tournament, you shoot 78, 76, 74, that means something. They right. like to see consistency. How many, you know, if you, sh- are you avoiding shooting that 85 to 87? And then they also like to see firepower, right? So if you have a round of golf, that's a 67, I don't care where it is. You know, but the, so what's kind of like the biggest thing that you look for when you're recruiting players to go to Emory? Yeah, sure. I think um, Coach Schoberg really leads the recruiting process at Emory. Um, and, and what I love about his approach is just like seeing people beat people, right? You know, what you shoot? Who was playing? Uh, do you beat people? And I think um, he did make a shift um, in my college career. So I entered as a freshman and the Emory team looked like a, a basketball or a football team. It was like a lot of really athletic kids. We had a kid who was ready to join the Navy SEALs. We had a high school football running back, uh, throwing around a lot of weight in the weight room. And we weren't necessarily the best golf team ever. And in the division three level, you certainly play a lot of shorter and really tight golf courses. So by my senior year, the recruiting had shifted to where I think my senior year, I was in the lineup and I was the tallest player by six inches. 
I'm about six two. So we 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 started recruiting shorter and straighter. But uh, Coach Schoberg's philosophy has been, uh, you know, do you beat people? Uh, do you like the way you play the golf game of golf? Obviously, at Emory, we have to be really conscious of the academic skills uh, getting into Emory. And that, you know, I love his his quote is. Uh, do you look like you can make a putt? You know, do you look like if, I, if he's watching someone play golf, do, do they look like they're standing over an eight footer thinking it's going in? Okay. I got that. And now you have this high school career. How did that high school scoring transfer over to when you started playing at Emory? Sure. Coach Schoberg and I laugh about uh, my recruiting process to Emory. I'll give you the, Short scoop, I was basically talking to Brown University, Davidson University, Georgetown, and Emory. Probably came down to Davidson and Emory between my last two. Coach uh, over at Davidson had basically had two guys picked out, you know, only get two spots. I, I really had fallen in love with Emory anyways. So I came to Emory uh, to play for Coach Schoberg, loved the school, heard a little bit about the program, but I just didn't know that much about college golf. I really didn't know what I was getting into when I got there. But when I got there, I was, you know, showed up at qualifying and the team had had a good season the year before, but had graduated three or four out of the five in the lineup. So it was an open door. And I think um, myself and a great player named Colby Hip, we, we ended up winning our fall qualifying by 15 or 20 shots. So there was a kind of a, it was kind of a rebuilding season and we had a, a, a tough fall schedule where I think we finished, uh, you know, we were probably 50th or 60th in division three at the end of the fall, probably finished around there as well. So I was able to come in and be a pretty decent player at the division three level right away. But I, I do feel fortunate that I was able to get those tournament reps just coming into a program that was rebuilding that season. Okay. So I have a few more questions about college. But let's jump ahead. You decide to take the assistant coach job at Emory, and you've also resurrected your mid-aim career. Kind of walk us through your thought process on both of those things and how they've gone for you. Sure, the the coaching career is an interesting story. I graduated from Emory 2014 to 2018. I really got to know Sherberg well. As a sophomore, I ended up being the oldest player on the team, and I was the only sophomore on the team. So it's sort of like... Uh, you know, I was always a little senior to the team and I was always really close right-hand man to coach Schoberg. So when I graduated, his wife was scheduled to have a baby in the next fall. And he asked me if I would really consider coming on as an assistant and really potentially as an interim head coach for the fall season. And, you know, felt like the program had given a lot to me. I had the opportunity to start my career the January after a May graduation. So it was a bit of a no-brainer. So I joined the team fully planning to be an assistant, but fully prepared to be an interim going through van driving seminars at Emory, making sure I was, you know, cleared on all the uh, policies and procedures like sexual harassment training, uh, coaching training, everything with Emory. And then I get the call Wednesday before the first tournament that, uh, you know, wife's going to be going into labor very soon. You're going to take the team to the first tournament. And it was the uh, NCAA preview. It was a big event. And we ended up going to the tournament and winning the whole event by 24 shots. And at the time, 
that was that was the biggest win of the, the program's history, really. We hadn't won one of the major tournaments like the preview, like Golf Week, like Jekyll Island, and like Nationals. And it was, you know, told you this story, Dan, it was kind of like a perfect storm. You know, Coach Herberg was so obsessed with the preparation that fall because he knew, you know, we had this curveball potentially be thrown in. So qualifying was extra tight, extra focused. Practice plans were extra tight, extra focused. And then I think, I think more than anything else, everybody just freed up, you know, it was like mm-hmm. kind of the first tournament, you know, former teammates here. We're just, he's just riding in the car, kind of watching everybody play and everybody just played, you know, out of their minds. Good. We had two people tie for second and one person finished third in the tournament. So it was pretty, pretty easy that week, but we ended up continuing, had a great year coaching that year. I basically took two ish years off of tournament golf. I went home and, 22, 23, as coach, I played in a, a local U.S. AM qualifier, you know, local club event, stuff like that. I had a good run a couple of years in U.S. AM qualifiers, but it was like playing one-off events. And it's really tough to play tournament golf if you're just playing one tournament round a year. You know, you really have to. I think it's important to have a little schedule, have a little buildup, at least have, you know, a couple events in a row. You know, it's a little bit difficult to just expect that, you can translate, you know, playing on Saturday mornings to go playing in a tournament round of golf. So as I've turned 25, you know, the mid-am opportunities open up. And I certainly think that's an area of golf that I can compete and compete regularly. So I've been able to build up a schedule the last two years. And that's been that's been really exciting to have that in the forecast and something to look forward to. So one question I had, Keenan, you come in in this sub role as assistant coach. Coach show is gone for the fall and you take on the college preview and you guys win. Then at the end of the year, you guys play in the NCAA tournament at the same site, kind of walk us through what happened there and the difference between that and the college preview. Sure. So we full background, you know, we win the preview to start the fall by 24 shots, uh, go to the next tournament, second place in, Ohio, and we win Destin by 12 shots. We end up winning uh, Jekyll Island in the spring. I think we won eight out of 10 tournaments that year. So we were probably one of the most dominant teams in Division Three history during the regular season. And then, of course, Dan had to bring it up. We go and miss uh, Nationals. We missed the cut at Nationals at, at Keene Trace. I think a lot of things happened there. Um, first of all, the golf course was different. It was a completely different test. And as we could have better expected it to be in the fall preview, it was lighter rough. It was a bit more of a birdie festival. Scores were lower as a whole. I think the team winner, we were the team winner and we shot about even par, you know, 24 over was second place. And then in the uh, spring nationals, it was cold. It was wet. The rough was long and, you know, bogeys were good scores sometimes. It was just a completely different golf course. And I think, you know, I think teams ended up going into a playoff at about 28 or 30 over par to win the national championship. So I think we came out and got knocked in the face shooting 38, 39, 40 on the front nine, pretty much across the board and just weren't ready for that. You know, we're expecting 35 and 36 to be a good score, obviously, People know the scores are very low at the Barbasol Championship as well. But the rough's lower that time of year when they play too. So, A, expectations about the conditions of the golf course hurt. 
And then maybe more so, uh, this happens a lot in golf, right? You know, the, the famous quote is you can't win the tournament on the first day of the golf tournament, but you can certainly lose it. I think a lot of that has to do with expectations. I think the most prime example of that we've ever seen was Rory McIlroy shooting a 79 at the British Open when it was played in Ireland, right? Mm-hmm. Put all this pressure on himself. It's the first British Open in a long time that's played in Ireland. And he wants to win it so badly. You know, he's from Northern Ireland. Shoots 79 in the first round. Hits his opening tee ball out of bounds. I don't know if Rory McIlroy has more than three 79s in his entire life on the PGA Tour. And he shoots 65 on day two, so obviously his game was in good shape. He made a good run, missed the cut on the number. But I think a lot of people will go into a golf tournament with high expectations, especially as a front runner, as a favorite. And, you know, that can be an unhelpful buildup um, because that just – it doesn't help you play better golf, right? What helps you play better golf is uh, living in the moment, being extremely present, uh, and hitting it one shot at a time. I know this and Cooper knows this even better because tournaments were more recent for him, but walk us through kind of how you take identity in golf and how that's changed over the years. Cause I remember when I was playing, you know, you have a bad day out there. It's not just, Oh, I shot a bad score. It's the rest of your life kind of ends up feeling bad. And the rest of your day ends up feeling bad just because you put up a bad score. Uh, And when you're playing in college, you have teammates and that's the same thing that comes along with that. Not only is it a bad day for you, but you kind of have this feeling where maybe you're letting down your teammates. Now that you're a mid-am, you're playing uh, in these tournaments on your own and you just finished up the Georgia mid-am. Is that different? Does that feeling go away or change? It's it's 100% different. I mean, I think playing for a team is, was really awesome to me. I loved playing for a team at Emory. You felt like you were letting other people down when you shot a bad score. I found it incredibly difficult to quit on a round of golf. You know, you're four over after five or something like that, or, or, or it's day three and you have no chance of winning the tournament. You know, if you're playing for yourself, you can just go try and shoot 64 or 65 that day. When you're playing for a team, you know, you might just try and really grind out around in the sixties or something to really help the team come back and win the tournament. I love the feeling of playing tournament golf uh, with a team. I think what's especially fun about that is what I just mentioned, right? You're, you have something to play for on round three and four, even if you're not in contention in the tournament, a lot of times when you're playing in a a tournament for yourself, uh, you can play almost more aggressively. You can play, you know, a final round aiming to shoot 62 to go get in the top 10 of the tournament and obviously bring it in the risk of shooting a higher score. If, you know, going for the par five or par, par five over the water or par four, you know, going for it with out of bounds left and right doesn't, doesn't, doesn't work out for you. So I see both sides of it. I think I've always enjoyed playing with a team, but I'm really learning to enjoy, you know, building my own mid amateur career here. And and what I like about the mid-am life, so to speak, is uh, honestly in Georgia that we play really nice courses. Uh, you get to know some really cool people. The, the pace of play is unbelievably better. <laughs> the Georgia mid-am, I think each round of golf was three hours and 40 minutes. Uh, so that's just completely unbeatable. So since you've been coaching, I know some of my friends who have gotten into college coaching have definitely experienced this. Do you have a better perspective as a competitor when you go back and play because you've just gotten to see things from the other side? 
Yeah, I think so for sure. Um, I was always a little bit of a, you know, in basketball, a lot of the the backup point guards or, or the starting point guards make the best coaches because they, you know, were maybe not the most talented players, not the most skilled players, but they always saw the game from sort of a coach's perspective. I feel like I was always a little bit of that type of player where I, I very rarely made double bogeys and, you know, I had good short game, kept the hole in front of me, played smarter. But I definitely think that's only gotten better uh, from the outside looking in. When you're a coach, as your friends have seen, it's really easy to just watch like how detrimental it is getting frustrated or getting mad. So then you go play in a tournament yourself and you're like, you know, uh, watch someone else get mad and go bogey, 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 double. I'm not going to get mad after a one, three, but, you know, I'm just going to go hit the next golf shot. So I, I think it's definitely helped with the mental side of things. And I think it's where it's helped me the most is it's helped me see like what skills really need to be improved. Give you some examples, you know, just watching some of the players on our team. Um, we have some really talented ball strikers and we have some really talented short game players. And it's, it's like, okay, wow. You know, they're, they're just in the middle of the fairway or they're having 12 feet for birdie all day. And that's, that's an area you know, my game, I could improve, improve upon. And it's like really breaking down when you look from the outside and watch five different people shoot a 72 and do it in completely different ways. You know, it's helpful to go, okay, what if we could put together, you know, what if we could drive the ball like him, hit wedges like him and, and chip and putt like him, that'd be a heck of a golfer. So it's really being able to analyze the individual skills of each player. That makes sense. And one of the things I had a question about is kind of your career progression. I took notes on your events as far back as I could find. And one thing I wrote down about you that I thought you could really provide insight on was consistent improvement. The earliest tournament I could find for you was from a club event in 2006. You were in the 12 and under group and you shot 58, 55, uh, which I assume was over nine holes. Then you placed well in state championships in 2014 and 2013. You won the 2013 WPIAL Class AA title. And in that one, you start off five under through eight, finished at three under. Freshman year at Emory, played ten turn nine out of the ten tournaments. Your scoring average was 77.5. Sophomore year, scoring average 76.62. Junior year, scoring average 75.56. Senior year, scoring average 74.4. And finally, now uh, your handicap is a plus 0.8. Tell us, like, obviously there's a lot of work and practice that goes into us, but tell us kind of how that improvement came about and what you really attribute to that. Yeah, I'm very proud of that. And I actually had tracked some of my stats individually just for my college career. And it actually, even better than that, got better every single semester. So I was better in the fall of my freshman year to the spring of my freshman year to the fall of my sophomore year to the fall of my spring of my junior year. Slight variation there. You know, one spring was maybe the same or a little similar. And, and some of that comes from the golf being much more difficult in the spring, especially in the Georgia area with the wet Bermuda. So it's something I'm extremely proud of. I think it comes from uh, tracking uh, my stats and my abilities. I also think it comes a lot from 
uh, I, I was really diligent with my course preparation. I felt like, so coming back to the same golf courses, understanding things, I felt like I always got better every year. And I just, I, I think the last thing and probably the most important thing though, is I came into college golf extremely hungry. You know, I was like, I was not a great junior golfer. I didn't even know what junior golf was. Like there were kids that were traveling around the AJGA tour that their parents made them play golf. I'd never heard of an AJGA event until I was a junior in high school. So when I showed up at college, I was like, wow, we have a golf course that we can practice on six, six hours a day, you know, take a cart there for free, go out to the 12th hole and hit chips for four hours. Um, I was just so excited to get in the van and drive to every tournament. So I think that made me um, just really hungry to get better. And, and then, you know, going home and, and learning from some of the teammates that did things better than me, I always felt like I had a good plan to take time off for a month and then like actually just focus my preparation on, on the college season. I wasn't really playing a full amateur circuit in the summers. I was working internships and stuff like that. So I was never, never burnt out when I came back to college golf because I didn't play a full amateur circuit in the summer. I was just ready to get back after college golf. When we were doing some research on Emory golf, we saw that one of your players, Matt Organisak, had some pretty good success right out of college getting through Q school his first year. Can you just speak some about his progression and as what has allowed him to have such good success right out of college? Yeah, Matt, Matt Organisak, he's one of my best friends, and he actually entered school when I was a junior. So Matt was a freshman, I was a junior, and he was, I mean, he was an outstanding recruit. He had a great junior career. He had a lot of Division One books, but similar to other good Emory players, he chose to come to Emory to play in the South, learn how to play on Southern grasses, go to a great school. So he was certainly a steal for our program from a recruiting sense. He was one of the better junior recruits that we'd ever had. And he immediately made an impact on the team. He'd actually qualified for the U.S. Amateur right before coming to Emory. So we were all on a Team Scotland trip tracking his scores at the U.S. Amateur. Uh, and then he came in in fall qualifying and, you know, immediately made a splash. Matt um, was a shorter lefty and he hit the ball pretty far, especially for his size, but he hit the ball pretty far for anybody. And I think what, what he brought is um, just really hungry again, right? He had a real chip on his shoulder, uh, did not have any attitude that he had a level that was already above the competition, which to my previous point, that's just an attitude that is really helpful to yield improvement, right? He wasn't arrogant about what he did. He knew that there was a level above what he did in every part of his game. And he just wanted to chip away and make it better and better and better. Um, I think the best example of that was he qualified for the U.S. Amateur. He went to the U.S. Amateur and he did very well, you know, 74, 75, just missed medal or match play by two or three shots. And he came and we were becoming fast friends and we were talking about it. He's like, there's just a level between making stroke play and making match play. And I just want to get to that level. You know, it's just a level of ball striking. It's a level of hitting the golf ball. So I think Matt is someone who, also got better pretty much every semester. It was really disappointing that he lost his senior year uh, with the COVID cutoff season because I think he had a pretty darn good chance of winning the national championship. He was able to make up for it and have a great summary, won the Massachusetts Amateur, and then has obviously just had an absolutely incredible run making it to the Corn Ferry Finals. 
he's had some incredibly clutch rounds of golf in that stretch. I think he shot 65 the final round of stage one. And then at stage two, he birdied his 17th and 18th holes to shoot 67 and make it on the number. So uh, we're really looking forward to following him along because he's played in the last eight Monday qualifiers and shot in the sixties five or six times, just it's a tough life, you know, 60 shoot 68 every day and missed by two shots and you got nothing to show for it. It's one of those frustrating things where I feel like if he could just get a start, I have pretty much no doubt that he'd be making money week in and week out on the corn Ferry tour. What do you think the biggest barrier is for college golfers? Sure. For, for an Emory student, I definitely think it's the academics. I mean, there were times where we would be playing a Monday, Tuesday tournament, which is often the only time we could get tournaments to reserve the golf course. And you'd have a test on Wednesday and you'd be driving six hours after playing 54 holes on Monday and Tuesday. And you have a test at 9 a.m. in Atlanta Wednesday. So that's just makes it really difficult to, to get up and down on the last hole, you know, when you have that start creeping in your mind. Right. Um, I think for a lot of other folks, uh, the weather can be a really difficult thing to overcome. My younger brother played college golf at the University of Rochester and had a great career. But, you know, Rochester in March and April is pretty tough to play golf. He, uh, he got pretty good at hitting a knockdown six iron. But uh, it's pretty hard when you go home and play a summer tournament and the greens are firmer and faster. That knockdown six iron doesn't work as well. (laughs) Right. I think a lot of the biggest barriers for people are academics, especially at some of the the really strong academic schools that focus a a large priority on that. And then I think, um, you know, depending on the program you go to, the access resources, uh, having a club to play at. And uh, the location of that club, uh, it just makes it difficult to get better sometimes if, if those aren't ideal circumstances, especially with the potential weather you may have at that, that okay. universe. Another thing I've always appreciated about Coach Schoberg as a golf coach is uh, he allows players to be a little bit more aggressive than some college coaches. I think there's some college coaches that will show up at a drivable par three, par four and just, you know, blanket statement you know, hold the drivers, take all the drivers out of everyone's bag and hold them in their hands. So they all got to hit five iron wedge. And that might be a good strategy, but, you know, Schoberg will, will definitely base, okay, here's the research I've done based on, you know, decade yardage books, or here's the research I've done based on past tournaments at this course where people who went for it were making birdies and people who laid up were making pars. Um, so I think we put a lot of data into it and allow for it. And I, I think, Second part of that, which I'm really keen on, is each golfer is different, right? I mean, we have certain players on our team who the driver is the strength of their game and their short game is also of high quality. And they're not a particularly great wedge player from 80 to 130 yards. So in the classic drivable par four, reachable par five example, they should go for it from 240 in the middle of the fairway on a par five because they got a great long iron game and a good short game from the bunker. And they're not going to be that good from 95 yards away. So why would we tell them to hit nine iron, nine, nine iron wedge and hit a bad wedge? Likewise, we have some really good players who uh, I fell into this category, you know, have a lower ball flight and have a great wedge game. And why would you tell that person to go for it from 245 over the water when it's a firm green and they might not be able to hold the green anyways but they're probably going to make a birdie six out of 10 times from 85 yards. 
why would you take away that opportunity they might have? So I think basing it a lot on individual skill sets is an underappreciated thing uh, in caddying and in coaching. Have you noticed a difference in college golf with the emergence of strokes gained and the research that Scott Fawcett has done as far as players being more aggressive or more conservative in certain spots? Absolutely. It's been night and day since I started. I entered college golf in 2014, and I don't think uh, anybody really knew what they were doing in terms of golf strategy. I certainly didn't. Um, And I would say 2022 this season, I mean, the percentage of kids that are inputting their rounds into birdie fire in the decade after the round who are very aware of their statistics or tracking course statistics after the round is basically, you know, 90 or hundred percent of the field. So I think it has changed completely. And then with that, you know, a lot of what we've learned from that research is the benefits of hitting the ball further, right? We just saw the NCAA division one championship, three or four people are tied for the lead on the 18th tee and their ball speeds were 183 miles per hour, 188 miles per hour, and 194 miles per hour. I'm sure you both saw the tweet. I mean, right. that is just the Bryson effect. It's the decade golf effect. It's uh, it's everything playing out at the lower levels of the tour. And I think I've seen that at the Division three level mm-hmm. uh, and, and definitely witnessed it at the Division one level too. So, Keenan, let's take this decade concept. I think most people know what it is, but without giving away too much of their proprietary information, walk us through how you use decade for mapping out courses and strategy. Yeah, sure. I think I, I like to study decade. I don't use what I would call full decade, but I use like you know some of the reference points in decade to base my decisions. I use it in my mini amateur career. I use it as a caddy when I'm coaching and I use it, you know, more generally for the team as a whole. Basically a guy named Scott Fawcett went out and mapped all of Tiger's rounds for many years and proved the intuition he might've had that essentially Tiger was a very conservative golfer. I'm going to overgeneralize things, right? But he missed the vast majority of his iron shots on the fat side of the pin, right? He hit it to 25 feet, two putted a lot, he hit the ball longer than everybody else. So he, you know, was basically playing a par 68 and he felt like if he could just hit more greens, hit more average golf shots, avoid the short-sided bunkers, hit it to 35 feet and be a great lag putter over time, he was just going to wax the field like he obviously did. So some of the principles of decade are, you know, if you have 60-ish or 65 yards on a map between, you know, bunker to bunker, on a par four that's 460 yards, send the driver, right? You got to be able to hit your driver within a 60 yard, you know, window. But then, you know, maybe if you have 32 yards at about 300 yards where the driver is going to land and you have 60 yards at 250, you know, then maybe that's a three foot hole. So you can use Google maps to, to provide some guesstimations about, you know, which clubs to hit off the tee. And then, you know, there's a whole approach to a disciplined approach to iron play and how far away you should aim from certain pins based on how difficult you rank, you know, missing over the green, left of the green, right of the green, and short of the green. Have you ever gone to a tournament and not been able to play a practice round, or has the team had this situation? How would you map a course out in that scenario? Yeah, sure. So we have not really done that because we do play practice rounds for all of our events. 
but certainly the team will play a qualifying round on a course that the freshman has never played, or maybe the entire team has never played. And we would absolutely pull out a decade yardage book or map it ourselves. I can tell you very recently, I've done that a ton, right? If I'm going to go play in a Georgia mid amateur qualifier, that's, I don't necessarily think a great use of my time to go play in a practice round for the event. I will map out the entire course, uh, especially helpful. One of my friends, Connor Yakubov, a former teammate, was really, really impressively talented at doing so. So he'll help me out and we'll map out the course and basically just come up with a basic strategy for which clubs to hit off tees and, you know, what to expect from the golf course. I think Cooper and I each have one question left. So let's jump back to your junior career. You've had that steady, consistent improvement. And with that steady, consistent improvement, there's peaks and there's valleys, there's plateaus. And particularly in those peaks, I had a question. You go in a scenario where you've never broken 90, you broke 90, and then you broke 80 right after. You have moments where you play really well, you get under par, and do you ever ask yourself, you know, is this who I am? I've I've been in those situations before where I ask, man, am, am I actually this player? That's pretty good. And when that happens and you get uncomfortable on the course, how did you deal with it? And now that you've gotten older, has how you deal with it changed at all? Yeah, sure. I think, uh, you know, it's really helpful to have an understanding that getting uncomfortable is the goal, right? It's, you can't improve unless you're going to get uncomfortable. So, you know, the, the old adage, get, un- get comfortable being uncomfortable. I think um, I really had a couple moments like that uh, in my junior career, first one, the most prominent one to me was my senior year in the state championship junior year. I had finished second place to Isaiah and Cole. I knew they were both coming back. I was blown away impressed by them when I played with them junior year and both just hit the ball 350 yards and were clear top tier division one golfers. My senior year, I was geared up same golf course shot, uh, 74, I think round one and round two, I was, you know, going around 200 par through 16. And my high school coach came over to me and was like, would you like to know where you're stand? It's like, you know, Cole and Isaiah just made bogeys back on 13. You're not tied for the lead. And, you know, I went, you know, birdie par par or something and get to 18. And he came back to me and was like, you know, do you want to know where you stand? And I was like, heck yeah. You know, he's like, you know, they just made birdie birdie par or something. You're three back or something. They just played unbelievable. And, you know, so I go for 18s like a, drivable or really long par four over water. And I had like 220 from the rough and, you know, just went for, went for glory hit in the water, mid bogey shot 72, end up losing by a couple shots and played it all out perfectly. You know, actually it was double A and triple A golf in Pennsylvania. And I ended up finishing fifth in double A. And on the same two days, my score was lower than the triple A champion. You know, triple is supposed to be theoretically better with bigger numbers and stuff like that. But that was the first moment I really had that was getting comfortable being uncomfortable. Felt like it played out right in that circumstance. But the biggest thing is just having your routine and having clear thoughts. I think uh, for some people, when they get, you know, six under after seven or something totally uncomfortable, it, it's not being prepared for it. So, to, to not give you the best answer to that, I think the, the thing I've learned, and I did not know this as a junior, un- unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, because I wasn't ready for it, I never got too uncomfortable. I wasn't, you know, nine under through 10 and never had to face it. 
But I think the biggest thing is just being mentally prepared for had the opportunity to work before uh, coming to Emory at a club called Farmington in Charlottesville, Virginia, which Bob Rattel is a member of. So I had the opportunity to meet Bob, obviously one of the great mental coaches of all time, Dr. Bob. And the thing he talked a lot about with me and some of the others is just before a round of golf, prepare yourself to be six under through six, six over through six, and even through six, you know, and just what's going to go through your mind. How are you going to approach the seventh tee shot? And then also prepare yourself to be 11 under through 12, 12 over through 12, and even par through 12 holes, you know. And, and you know, it's just basically readying yourself for that situation so that when you're 11 under through 12, you don't go, oh, shucks, on the 13th tee and pull out a four iron on a hole you should hit driver on. You just learn to go through your routine, pick a target, and slap it and see where it goes, you know. I've actually played Farmington at the Kenridge. Whenever I get my amateur status back, I'm definitely going to go back to that tournament. It's a great event. Yeah, I got to play. I played in it that summer of 2018, actually. So, yeah, it's a really cool event. And, you know, to my point earlier about amateur golf versus college golf, great event with a dinner party on Thursday and Friday, four hour rounds of golf maximum at a really nice golf course in really good right. condition. Something you don't really get to appreciate maybe in in you know, corn fairy professional golf and certainly not college golf. One thing we haven't touched on as golfer and coach being on the road and having 36 whole days, how do you guys approach nutrition and have you found anything that really helps you guys fuel yourselves on those long days and weeks on the road? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is uh, eating constantly and uh, eating and drinking before the event. Uh, you know, Schoberg is Coach Schoberg is big on you're not going to solve your dehydration problems by starting to drink water when you're thirsty, right? You have to drink water before you're thirsty. So, you know, my, my mother's run some marathons and she always talks about going into the nationals and in Orlando, Florida, you got to drink water like the week before the marathon, you got to really hydrate yourself a full week before uh, so that your body's constantly hydrated. So then you're just upkeeping it while you're there during the week. And I think another thing, which I think a lot of freshmen struggle with, and sometimes sophomores and older kids in college golf is people are superstitious about eating on the course. Sometimes they're superstitious about applying sunscreen. You know, they don't want to go hit a tee ball right after they put sunscreen on, or they don't want to go hit a tee ball while they have, you know, grease from chips on their fingers. And you just, you just have to overcome that. Uh, you know, I, I think about a lot of freshmen, I think about myself as a freshman, if you're going to play a 36 whole day and you're going to be on the course from an 8am shotgun until basically dark, and sometimes it's a full 12, 13 hours, you're going to have to eat four times, right? You're going to have to put on sunscreen three times. So the, the quicker you can overcome that, the better, because you're just going to have to. That is cool. Well, the last question we have for our guests, uh, we ask every time, now that you have the keys to the kingdom, ostensibly, like you've gotten older, you've seen the mistakes you've made. If you could go back in time to yourself as a junior and tell yourself just one thing, what would it be? Yeah, that's tough. I feel like I would tell myself a lot of things, but if I had to pick one thing, um, I think uh, probably the best advice I could give myself was uh, focus on hitting the ball a little bit further. And I think that sometimes I was scared as a junior golfer to work on hitting the ball further at risk of losing accuracy. I was a really short hitter as a junior, despite being pretty tall and, and potentially well-built for hitting the ball far. I was a very short hitter in my freshman year of college, and I did dramatically improve it 
by my junior and senior year to where I'm now certainly medium to upper length, hoping to get longer. But I think that uh, the future of the game is going to be long. Hitting the ball far is a skill. You can hit it long and straight. And I think that uh, I wish at a younger age, I believed that, you know, you could have your cake and eat it too, right? You could work on distance without completely blowing up your golf game. So I think that would be the advice if I was raising a junior golfer, uh, you know, had a kid or was coaching a kid that was fun to be the next college golfer. Just you got to hit the ball far. Thanks for joining us today. Please do us a big favor and like and subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts so we can help others learn how to play better tournament golf. You can find us online at thetournamentcode.com, on Instagram at thetournamentcode, and on Twitter at tournamentcode. As always, feel free to reach out to us at those places or email us at daniel at thetournamentcode.com and cooper at thetournamentcode.com. We hope you join us as we continue to dive deeper into what it takes to play elite tournament golf.